Welcome to Convos from the Couch by Lifestance Health, where leading mental health professionals help guide you on your journey to a healthier, more fulfilling life. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Convos from the Couch by Lifestance Health. I'm Nicolette Lianza, and on this episode, I will be talking with Dr. Ashok Nagella a psychiatrist from our LifeSense Evanston, Illinois office, and he'll be sharing his knowledge about food and the mental health connection. So welcome, Dr. Nicola. Thank you, Nicola. Thanks for inviting me to this. Yes, we know that there's a strong connection between mental and physical health. So Dr. Nicola, I really look forward to you telling us more about how food can impact both our mental and our physical health. So Sounds good. Begin? So let's begin. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Yeah. So as you introduced me, yes, uh, my name is Ashok Nigella. I'm a medical doctor and I'm a board certified psychiatrist. I've been in practice for just over 20 years. I specialize in child and adolescent psychiatry, but I'm also board certified in adult psychiatry and see adults. So I see people of all ages and I've been at LifeStance since August of last year. Doesn't seem that long, but <laughs> time flies when you're busy. And I've worked in a variety, wide variety of settings before that. So I grew up in the Chicago area. I still live in the Chicago area with my wife and 12 year old twins who are a handful. And we live, so my office is close to the lakefront, close to the Evanston, the Northwestern campus. We're happy in this area. As far as my schooling and background, I went to medical college of Wisconsin for my medical degree. There, actually, I had very minimal nutrition education and holistic medicine education, which was a bit disappointing, but I guess that's the experience of most physicians, at least the people that trained in the 90s. So it was one hour, very superficial and biased information about nutrition, <laughs> unfortunately. But I've learned a, lot, a great deal since then on my own in regards to nutrition and holistic practices. And I completed my adult psychiatry residency training at Loyola Medical Center. Loyola University Medical Center in Maywood, Illinois. Uh, and that included a continuity primary care clinic at the Heinz VA, which I did to expand my internal medicine and primary care knowledge to be a more well-rounded physician. So one of the key contributors to all these major health concerns for the CDC, which is the Center for Disease Control, is poor nutrition. So what we call the standard American diet or what I like to call set the sad diet, because at least the sad results, unfortunately. <laughs> and it, but, and there's also other major lifestyle factors that are that contribute to health con conditions as well. Inactivity, tobacco use, alcohol use, excessive amounts of substance use like that. So it's not just nutrition, but nutrition is a big one. Yeah. What's wrong with the standard American diet? You might ask, there's a few different characteristics, which I'll list. Exec excessive saturated fat and cholesterol, in insufficient fiber intake, which includes low intake of fruits, veggies, legumes, beans, whole grains, etc. Excessive amounts of sugar. So again, all these are characteristics of why the standard American diet is not healthy. Right. So excessive sugar that you see with like, for instance, the soda, the candy, chocolate, you walk right. into a store like a Walgreens, what's first, right? It, those are the big sellers. Yep. Yep. And those are the most alluring. Not if you put a, a stalk of broccoli there, right. people would be reaching for it. Very true. Very true. <laughs> yeah, unfortunately. And then processed foods, microwave meals, pies, box cereals, white, white carbs, we call them bad carbs, bacon, etc. Um, excessive intake of inflammatory foods with high, what we call omega-6 levels. 
much higher than the intake of omega-3s, which are healthier. Uh, the ideal ratio of omega-3 to omega-6 foods is one out of one to four. In the U.S., it's one out of 15, which is hmm. a huge issue because wow. that creates more inflammation, more illness. Right. More which we're going to get into that in a bit. We'll talk more about that, the inflammation piece. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And then there's also the hyper-focus in this country. And a lot, it's not people's fault that this is happening. The average consumer doesn't know and being fed all this information in the media. And I'm, I hate to say it, it is propaganda because there's this hyper-focus on protein and calcium. Hey, you can be big and strong. That's if true. You have a lot of protein and calcium yeah. and, and iron. So we're hyper-focusing on protein, calcium, and iron, but we're, we're ignoring the importance as a society of antioxidants, fiber, vitamins, minerals. Those are just as critical. Right. So proteins are... They're also found in lentils, beans, chickpeas, broccoli, nuts, seeds. So there's a lot of different protein sources that people just don't even think about. So it's just not just meat or fish or animal products that supply. Proteins are important, but you can get them from other healthier sources. Calcium is also found in foods such as figs, kale. And in fact, kale has more calcium per serving than cow's milk. Wow. Edamame, tofu, yeah. oranges. So these are, there's plenty of, there's a plethora of different sources of calcium and iron, bean, different types of beans, chickpeas, dried apricots, tofu. So the very, very common question that I get still <laughs> is that when people learn that I'm plant-based, that I'm plant-based, where do you get your protein, your iron and calcium? Where do they come from? Like, how do you survive? And they're like, I don't look like I'm struggling. Do I? <laughs> I have plenty of energy and focus, pretty good shape. And so it's just, again, because... That's what the media pounds us yeah. with, that information. Sorry if I'm... No, you're doing great. And I, for those who can't see, you do look very healthy. You do. You look very healthy. Okay. And then so it's, it, you definitely seem like you walk the talk. And you're now just sharing, you, you definitely seem like you're someone who definitely follows through in eating healthy. And I love the fact that you're giving very specific examples of foods to eat as well. I very much appreciate that. Oh, I'm thank you. Saying. Yeah. Can we link this in and in a bit we'll be talking about inflammation, but how some of the food we consume, we can see the physical illnesses that can come from it, but it, share a little bit more about the, maybe the potential mental health symptoms that can come from our food when sure. we're not supplementing with the correct and the proper diet. Sure. Yeah, I'll definitely get into that. I, uh, sure. I thought it might be helpful to look into, if you don't mind, the different components of food and how yes. they help. So, yes, okay. please. Okay, sounds good. I won't be able to go into all of them because it's beyond the scope of today's discussion. That would be like a talk in its own. <laughs> so I'll go over four examples of sure. essential food components and how they affect us physically and mentally. Fiber, cholesterol, saturated fat, and antioxidants. Again, these are just a few of the food, different categories and components mm -hmm. in our diet. Let's go over fiber. So yeah. fiber is it's sorely deficient in the standard American diet. Per the National Institutes of Health, Studies have shown that only about 5%, again, it's 5% of Americans consume sufficient fiber. Oof, 5%. Wow. It's an incredibly low deficient amount. Yes, right? yes. And where do we get fiber? We only get fiber from plant foods. It mm -hmm. doesn't come in animal products, preferably what we call whole plant foods. Whole plant foods meaning unprocessed or minimally processed foods. Fiber also comes in some processed plant foods, but it's always, it's more ideal to get it from a whole food plant source. 
And so why is this fiber so important? For many reasons, actually, I'm, I'm, this is just a partial list. So it reduces and prevents constipation, flushes toxins like lead and mercury, free radicals out of our system, reduces cholesterol, reduces risk of colon cancer by binding and clearing toxins out of our system. Again, I can go into detail about some of these, but you don't have the time. <laughs> Reduced obesity because there's an increased satiety level. So what happens is when we consume high fiber products tend to go through the gastrointestinal system, our stomach, intestine slowly. So nutrients are absorbed slowly from the, this fiber food. And because of this slow, slow digestion time, we stay full. It kind of shuts our uh, hunger center off in our okay. brain. And That's we stay, interesting. Yeah, then we stay satiated. So we're not, we're able to stay full longer. So we're not constantly hungry and eat, yeah. overeating. Excellent yeah. point. And by the way, I mentioned free radicals. So free radicals are basically waste products, toxic waste products that the body creates during oxidative stress. So I forgot to yeah. define that. And then also you can reduce blood sugar spikes. So less diabetes mm -hmm. when they're having more fiber in the diet. For example, people always ask me, oh, are fruits okay? Fruits are fine because if you're eating the whole fruit, you also have the fiber slowing down the spike of the sugar into mm -hmm. the blood, but also you're having the minerals and vitamins are surrounding it and volume and water. All those things are really important. And also high fiber foods that are, are so associated with, according to the research with an increase in longevity. So the quote unquote blue zones research, where they study the lifestyle habits and, and secrets of the centenarians, people that live into their hundred. Uh -huh. So that what they found is that those societies, they average about 90 to hundred percent of their diet is whole fruits, plant-based. So they, they do eat and consume animal products, but much, much lower level, a small percentage of what they eat. It's good to know. Like, good to know. If you're looking to reach that 100 mark, you're giving a guide of how to get there. Right. And it's not just, I should say also, it's not just getting into your hundreds. It's also having vitality when you're yeah, at that age. So for sure. these are not people that are like barely getting through life right. in a wheelchair and a nursing home or dependent on others. No, actually, they're still having a lot of vitality. They're contributing to their communities, mm -hmm. communities that look up to them. Um, for their, They have a quality of their life. Yeah. And like, they're yeah. looked up to for their sage advice and great stories over their lives. Yeah. So that's fiber. What's next? And then the next one is the standard American diet is also high in saturated fat and cholesterol. So extensive research shows that high levels of saturated fat and cholesterol increase the risk of the following well, in terms of mental health issues, dementia, yeah. dementia, depression, anxiety, inattention, poor focus that you often see, for example, with attention deficit disorder, attention deficit hyperactivity disorder, um, memory loss and cognitive decline. Now, those are all things that are increased in, in severity and frequency with uh, higher levels of saturated fat and cholesterol. Then also physical illnesses like heart disease, strokes, diabetes type 2, cancer, obesity, short, shortened lifespan. These are all things that you see with, again, high cholesterol and high saturated fat diets. And so you might ask, what are the sources of saturated fats? As it turns out, uh, animal products, uh, mm -hmm. so cheese, beef, processed meats, like hot dogs and bacon, especially cow's milk, oils. So even vegetable oils, not just animal oils, have uh, saturated fat. There's times where I go to the restaurant and I, I see them dousing 
you know, my food with olive oil. I'm mm -hmm. like, oh no, I, just a little bit is okay, just a drop. <laughs> but so I think a lot of people are under an impression you can have unlimited amounts of olive oil. Oh, it's supposed to be healthy. You're talking to someone who's an Italian-American here. <laughs> so I grew up with that dousing of olive oil. And now you have come to learn that it's not the healthiest for you. So yeah. I hear you. Oh, don't get me wrong. Olive oil, as long as you have a little bit of it, mm -hmm. you just don't go over it. Yeah. In moderation, of course. Yeah, Got just you. like any oil. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And then what are sources of cholesterol? So common sources of cholesterol are beef, eggs, chicken, shrimp, pretty much any animal product. So you're probably seeing a pattern by now, but yeah, I'm sensing <laughs> it sounds like definitely animal products. Yeah. It can be toxic and especially if consumed in a great amount. Like again, the, in these blue zones cultures where they live great, healthy, long lives, they're still eating it, but it's in a very small amount compared mm -hmm. to everything else they're consuming. Got you. Um, Got you. So what are the best foods to consume? The whole foods, plant-based kind of foods. So whole grains, beans, legumes, nuts, seeds, fruits, veggies. The only thing you would have to add if someone went completely decided to go completely plant-based is, is B12. You can pretty much get everything else in, in the, this plant-based diet, okay. protein, calcium, minerals, mm -hmm. vitamins. B12 is the one thing that's is deficient in that diet. So a simple multivitamin or a fortified cereal or fortified nut milks like soy milk. And then last but not least, the standard American diet is very deficient in antioxidants. So what are antioxidants? Antioxidants combat and prevent damage from harmful, we talked about free radicals. Yeah. So antioxidants actually bind free radicals and they prevent those free radicals from wreaking havoc on our body. Because these toxic waste products can ha increase the risk and severity of mental and physical conditions, reduce life expectancy. And where are these free radicals more prevalent in? What kind of foods? You might have guessed it. <laughs> Processed foods, refined yeah. sugars, excessive oil use, animal mm. products. And the research shows that the lack of antioxidants can cause or worsen depression, bipolar disorder, anxiety, heart disease, cancer, strokes, Alzheimer's disease, a long list of things, but diabetes, arthritis, this is just a partial list. No, and I appreciate there's, there you are pointing out the mental health symptoms and the physical health symptoms we can have by... If we're just sticking to that sad diet, the standard American diet, that's where we're going to see increases or exacerbations of like bipolar disorder and things like that. So if we, in, if we now include into our conversation, the inflammation part, how can inflammation have adverse health effects and what foods can cause inflammation? Sure. Do you mind if I, there's a couple other things. Oh, sure. <laughs> you go, that. you go, please share. Uh, no, <laughs> no problem. Yeah. So just to come to summarize by antioxidants yeah. they clear these free radicals from the body which when you do that you improve mental and physical health and longevity i forgot to mention what the best source of antioxidants are and i guess again you might have already guessed the whole foods plant-based foods fruits veggies legumes nuts tea but i didn't mention teas before so green tea has antioxidants mm -hmm. spices have antioxidants whole grains and also the other thing that i think is very critical that a lot of people overlook is antioxidants are also critical and boosting our immune system. Mm -hmm. So why is that important? Because we can kill microbes more easily. We can prevent devastating infections such as COVID, flu, strep, pneumonia. So I'm proud to say that my family and I have, knock on wood, we've been completely COVID-free, despite wow. being very social and not always following the mask mandates everywhere we go. And, <laughs> and when we had to, we did, but otherwise we're, we're not strict about that. 
but none of us have gotten sick, thankfully. And I think a lot of it is what we eat, how we consume. Okay. And Americans get less than a half the amount of antioxidants that are needed daily. Again, 50%. Yeah. Wow. So very low. So we could do a lot better as a country with antioxidants. And strong antioxidants are only found in plants, unfortunately. So it's not like I have a bias against animal products. It's just this is the, what the research is showing. Gotcha. Vitamins A, C, and E are strong antioxidants. So you were asking a great question. Yeah, about the inflammation. Yeah. Okay. So how could inflammation have adverse health effects? That's an excellent question. But what chronic inflammation does is it can damage our body, our physical body, our nervous system, and our vital organs. So the effects of inflammation specifically, according to the research, is that chronic inflammation leads to, <clears throat> again, this is a partial list, excuse me, a shorter lifespan, increased cardiovascular illness, increased lung disease, increased rate of cancers. The ones that they've studied the most in terms of connection to this are colon cancer, liver, breast, prostate, because those are leading killers, unfortunately. And then increased diabetes, diabetic risk with increased inflammation. And then with the nervous system, it also affects the nervous system and can lead to mental health conditions too, not just physical conditions. So increased rate of depression. So the standard American diet increases risk of depression, according to research studies, up to 35% more Oof, wow. than, than a plant-based or healthier diet, like the Mediterranean diet or yeah. plant-based diet. Yeah. And you also have worse attention and focus which again is implicated when we're trying to treat ADE or ADHD. And it, by the way, if anyone wants the copies of these studies, I'll be happy to provide them. And so you don't think I'm making it up. Yeah, no. <laughs> I know this is all based in research. This is yeah, definitely where you're drawing from. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Not opinion. And then you also see increased anxiety levels when your nervous system is inflamed, impaired memory formation, dementia, increased ADHD risk. Your executive functioning skills go down, your hippocampus, which forms memory, long-term memories is impacted. And interestingly, this is what I found very interesting. The, there's an increase of risk of psychotic symptoms. We're finding more and more that inflammation affects psychosis and chronic conditions like schizophrenia, for example. There was actually a research study that showed that high aspirin doses to augment antipsychotics significantly reduced symptoms of psychosis compared to using antipsychotics alone. Wow. Significantly, wow. yeah. So that just reflects the inflammation, inflammatory component of psychosis, since aspirin is an anti-inflammatory medication. So we're finding out more and more that inflammation not only affects us, our body, which there's a lot of research to show that, but our, again, our brain, our nervous system, psychosis, mental health issues, cognitive issues, which is exciting. So that we have yeah. other ways to address it. So, what are the most inflammatory foods? So foods with what we call arachidonic acid, which is omega-6 fatty acid that we talked about before. So unfortunately, arachidonic acids come primarily from animal products. So okay. again, chicken, beef, fish, turkey, pork, lamb, eggs, cheese, cow's milk, anything from animals pretty much. It's interesting that most patients and colleagues I speak to state that they have always assumed from their education, what they've been exposed to in the media, what they were taught, that lean proteins like chicken, turkey, and fish are benign. Hey, if you, as long as you stay away from red meats, you're fine. But that's actually not true for research. They can be just as inflammatory. Wow. Actually, you're, I, you're right. That's often what I hear, stay away from the red meats. But here you are saying that's not necessarily true. In fact, um, there's a lady, Ruth Heidrich, who I encourage people to look into her story. 
H-E-I-D-R-I-C-H, Ruth Hydra, diagnosed with metastatic stage four breast cancer. We had given a very poor prognosis. It was at the age of 47. She was already doing marathons every year. She was super fit, doing Ironmans, just incredible uh, athletic feats. And then she was shocked that she was diagnosed with this because she said, hey, I was just doing whatever my doctor recommended, like plenty of lean proteins, getting exercise, mm -hmm. sleep. And then she found out that after consulting with three oncologists, three or four oncologists, cancer doctors, who all recommended getting chemotherapy after her mastectomy, after she had her breast removed from cancer, she refused to go that route because she didn't want to stop running. She was afraid of all the different side uh, effects with chemo. She didn't want to lose her hair and right. system. So she actually consulted Dr. McDougall, who was the last doctor she saw. He said, hey, it's about the diet. There's some research to show if you just change what you eat. She walked out of that office. Overnight, she became a raw vegan. I mean, in yeah. raw food. And she actually completely reversed her cancer, never came back. And they could not believe it. Oh, wow. Doctor, she was seeing, and she went back to running marathons and winning senior gold medals. <laughs> and just an, an incredible testament to someone that reversed her condition. Yeah. And they did follow up MRIs, cats, and no one can find any trace of this. Wow. That is incredible. Definitely yeah. incredible. So you shared with us some of the most inflammatory foods. What about some of the least inflammatory foods? Excellent. Yeah. That's actually what I was going to oh, perfect. discuss next. So you must've been reading my mind. Whole foods, which again, were, which are minimally processed or unprocessed from the plant kingdom. Again, probably no surprise, but things like turmeric, lemon, garlic, flax seeds, walnuts, berries, could be blueberries, cranberries, all sorts of different berries. They're all very healthy. Kale, pineapple. They're all great sources of anti-inflammatory foods. And what's the benefits of low inflammation foods? Improved cognition, memory, mood, circulation, less anxiety, less, again, diabetes, cancer, heart disease, strokes. Let's talk about neurotransmitters. Okay, so we're gonna introduce that to our conversation here. So can you help us understand what neurotransmitters are and why they're important? And are, sure. are there certain foods that help build the neurotransmitters? Yes. Sorry if I interrupted you there. Yeah, no, you're good. So a neurotransmitter is a signaling molecule secreted by a neuron, which is also called a nerve cell, for those that are unfamiliar with what neurotransmitter means. And then that nerve cell affects another cell across the synapse. So it's basically sending a message across a synapse, a connection to another neuron or muscle cell gland, et cetera. So the three neurotransmitters that are implicated in depression and anxiety that are deficient in depression and anxiety are serotonin, dopamine, and norepinephrine. <clears throat> and in terms of AD, ADHD, the two neurotransmitters that are implicated in that that are deficient are dopamine and norepinephrine. So serotonin, which is also called 5-hydroxytryptophan, primarily affects mood and anxiety. It also affects appetite and sleep cycles and pain perception. A lot of people forget that. And in fact, serotonin is converted to melatonin. That's, that's melt, the precursor to melatonin is actually serotonin, which makes sense because if you think about like how many people really struggle with their sleep right. and anxious, yep. you it got makes it. sense. Yeah, it makes total sense. It does. There's nine essential amino acids in our diet. Tryptophan and tyrosine are two of them. So tryptophan is actually what forms serotonin. You remember I said serotonin is 5-hydroxytryptophan. So tryptophan is a precursor to that. 
It just gets okay. hydroxylated to form wow. serotonin. Okay. Okay. And then tyrosine forms is another amino acid that's found in our diet and it forms dopamine. And then dopamine gets converted to norepinephrine. So what happens is other what happens is we have food that we're consuming, right? And they have as food has different percentages of different amino acid mixes, right? Mm-hmm. So the foods that actually increase the availability of tryptophan to be able to cross into our brain efficiently are the ones that have a higher percentage of tryptophan compared to the other amino amino acids in that particular food. Okay. So let's say a food has 70% tryptophan, okay, and then the rest of the amino acids in it have 30, uh, composed 30%. That food is going to be much more likely to help you increase your tryptophan levels in your brain more quickly and efficiently and have a greater chance of crossing into the brain across the blood-brain barrier. Okay. Which means that once that tryptophan gets into your brain, it can do its actions, right? It can start Mm -hmm. forming, turning into serotonin and having its therapeutic effects. Absolutely. Same thing with tyrosine. So once that gets into the brain, same thing. You want to have a food that has a higher percentage of tyrosine in it compared to the other amino acids in it. So you give it a chance to get into the brain to do its job. So there's other amino acids that it competes with, like I was saying. So just a few examples like valine, histidine, leucine, isoleucine. There's other amino acids out there that our foods are made out of. So there's just some examples. So as a result, when we're having more efficient conversion of tryptophan to serotonin, that'll lead to improved mood, reduced anxiety, improved sleep, reduced pain perception more rapidly and efficiently, bottom line. And actually the research is showing that. Okay. My research okay. Actually, that is, is corroborated there. So okay. which ones have the lowest ratio of tryptophan? Which foods have the lowest ratio of tryptophan to other amino acids? You might have guessed it. <laughs> Whole milk, salmon, beef, chicken. So what happens is they have a slower and lower production of serotonin to rely on foods to produce the serotonin. Now people that consume that are not going to get the efficient production of serotonin. So these foods are not ideal for mood, anxiety, sleep, pain, people. Uh, even turkey, which a lot of people in the lay media, they'll say, oh yeah, tri- turkey has a lot of tryptophan. It does, but percentage-wise compared again, when you compare the tryptophan content, it's a lower percentage of that food compared to the other amino acids. So again, the tryptophan can't compete with those amino acids as well. It's not going to get into our brain as efficiently. Mm-hmm. So again, turkey as a result wouldn't be a great food for optimizing mood, anxiety, sleep, et cetera. Got you. Let's jump to, are there other benefits to eating healthier? Sure. Yeah. And in fact, there are actually. So there's significant benefits, other benefits, in addition to the health benefits that we went into detail about. So bottom line is if someone goes more and more plant-based, what the research shows is if everyone went at least 50% plant-based in their diets, that can go a long way in trying in achieving drawdown of grass greenhouse gas emissions and significantly improve our planet and uh, help us fight climate change and hopefully win that battle against climate change. The other thing I want to mention too, another reason why another benefit is many of my younger clients, they're animal lovers and they're increasingly aware that there's a lot of animal suffering and neglect that occurs in animal agriculture, unfortunately, and they want to save more of these animals and them like like pets. Yes. And they're happy to know that if one one went completely plant based for a year, that 
you could save 365 farm animals per year. So pretty much like one a day, according to the Humanely UK. So when I share that information to these kids that are very idealistic and compassionate about animals, that's another big reason that they stick with this or they transition to their diet, not just for health reasons. So I'm just going to go over a quick takeaway points. Yes, thank you. Oh. Yes. There are many wins with this kind of approach to a healthier diet, transition to a healthier diet. Again, better physical health, improved longevity, improved cognition, improved mental health, saving critical environmental resources like water, land, rainforest, helping to fight climate change, reduced healthcare costs, greatly reduced healthcare costs, preventing devastating illnesses, and saving our animal friends, among other benefits. Yes, oh my gosh. Your passion for this topic, I respect greatly. And the wealth of knowledge you've shared, I know we definitely need to have a part two to really give you more of the platform to dig in even deeper because I know you have a lot more to share. So thank you again for being on. And I look forward to our next part of our conversation on this topic. You're welcome. And sorry if I got into too much detail there. <laughs> no. This is something I could talk about for probably hours. It reflects <laughs> it's such your, a vast topic. <laughs> and it reflects your passion. It really does. And I respect your passion about it because you're trying to educate. And I can always yeah. respect that for sure. Exactly. All right. Thank you again. Thank you. Thanks for your time. I appreciate it. And thanks for inviting me.